Rod set to join us here. Do you believe in the Phillies now? New bullpen, new look in that bullpen. I'm telling you, I said I was out on the Phillies with that old bullpen. Not that this bullpen's great, but I can at least believe a little bit. I can at least say, all right, I think you can make the playoffs with this bullpen. Again, not good. They're not bad. They're just okay. And okay might just be enough. It might be just enough. What do you think? I hope you're right. Has your percentage of faith changed? Yes, definitely. I mean, when you're done with the Austin Davises of the world and the Guerras, and you start bringing in an electric Tommy okay. Hunter, also Which known guy as was Michael your Jordan, favorite? Cole Urban, Austin Davis, uh, Guerra. I think. Well, I think I hate Austin Davis more. Pavetta. Than, oh. Ugh. Yeah, but different scenario because he's not really like the bullpen arm like the other guys. I think I hated Guerra more because he was in more outings, but Austin Davis was by far worse, which is saying a lot. All right. Whose face did you hate the most? Uh, I hated Austin Davis's face more. More than Pavetta? Oh, no, no, no. If Pavetta was in the mix, there's no one I hate the face more than Nick Pavetta other than Gabe Yeah, Kapler. he's definitely ate the face. Oh, no doubt. No, Velasquez wins it for me. When yeah, Velasquez he's, he's yours. He's your no, as a starter. Face. When he's the starter, he's hate the face. I can't look at him when he starts anymore. He sucks as a starter. In the bullpen, I'll give him a shot. I'm not writing him off as a bullpen guy. As a as a starting pitcher, done. No time left for that. I got no time. Well, you you'll get see five it. years on my watch is too long. You're going to see it because there's double headers in play. So he's going to get those spot starts. But the bullpen looks a little different. Let's bring Bob Wankel from Crossing Broad in and uh, get his take on what this bullpen uh, rolls might start to look like. Bob, should we start to uh, look at the Phillies bullpen and feel better about it now? Well, I guess you could feel better about it. You can't feel much worse about it than you probably did the first four weeks of the season. So, yes, I think that the trade that they made with the Red Sox will help stabilize this thing a little bit. Uh, and, and some of the moves that they've made and some of the shuffling that they've done, I think, will make this a uh, bullpen that's at least not historically bad or perhaps the worst in the history of the game. How about that? <laughs> I was going to say, before, it was like it, it was a bad AAA bullpen. Now you've at least got an average to, you know, an okay Major League Baseball bullpen, right? Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, Heath Embry's done a decent job, and, and Workman uh, has been walking the tightrope here in his first few appearances, but I think he's actually a little bit better and will be a little bit more reliable than he's been. So I, I, I do think that things will stabilize a little bit. Like, listen, I don't believe that this is a top-10 bullpen as it's currently constructed, and, and even the law of averages, I don't think it's going to bring this thing back down to a middle-of-the-road bullpen. But I, I also don't believe it'll be pitching to an 8 ERA uh, for the rest of the season. So, I mean, I think that that's the, the optimistic outlook for, for this group. And it's interesting. I mean, we'll see what happens over the next few days. This is a weird trade market. There's a lot of teams that are still involved, even teams that you thought might win 20 games this season, like the Giants and the Marlins. They're hanging around, and they're in this thing. And, and so some teams that you thought might be sellers uh, might be a little bit more reluctant to do that. But I still think the Phillies are going to add. Um, some of the things that I've, I've heard, uh, they could add in a variety of different ways. The bullpen is obviously the most um, you know, pressing need, but I do think that they'll keep an eye out for an additional starting pitcher at the back end of the rotation. And, uh, you know, there have been some whispers about adding position players, too. So I do believe that they're going to do something else between now and the trade deadline. Is it weird that we haven't seen Hale yet? Or do you think his, you know, what he's going to be utilized with just didn't happen yet? 
I'm sorry. Can you say that again? I, I'm, I got a pretty bad storm rolling through here right now. Is, wow. Is it weird that hail? We haven't seen him out on the field yet. Not, you don't have a hailstorm coming, yeah, do you? No pun intended. You see what I did there? Yeah. No pun intended. <laughs> yeah. You know, I apologize. You guys are uh, you guys are going out on me. I, I, all I heard was hail. David. Are, are you, uh, yeah. The pitcher hail. Have we? Is it yeah. weird that we haven't? Oh, yeah, yeah. Is, have we haven't seen him? Yeah. Yet? No. It is a little bit strange. You know. I mean, they they acquired him from the Yankees last week, and you know, I I guess the expectation is that you'll see him as more of like a fifth, sixth inning guy. The way that their games have sort of played out over the past week, um, it, I guess there's certainly, I don't know. I guess there hasn't been an obvious need for him. I think that he is a guy that is is really, to, to be perfectly honest with you, just almost interchangeable with Garrett. It's like a, it's if we need a guy, if we need a guy that's out of the bullpen in a blowout, like that's, that's who we'll see. But I, I don't expect him to be a high leverage guy or, or, you know, taking down important innings for this team. Yeah, Bob, you know, another thing is, all right, so Workman, it looks like is closing. What do you see Neris's role kind of being moving forward here? Is he a guy? I mean, he was the best guy you had, and now all of a sudden, I don't want to say he seems like a guy without a role, but what? where do you see Neris fitting in this bullpen? I think that Joe Girardi will still try to play matchups and just and just try to assume or, and, and evaluate where, uh, you know, based on where a lineup is, who the better matchup is between Workman and Neris. Um, I, I think that Neris is running out of opportunities, but I still believe that Girardi will probably go back to him in a ninth inning save situation again at some point here uh, in the near future. You know, Hector Neris is a really streaky pitcher, and if you go back to June of 2018, he was designated for assignment twice. Um, sent down, and it was just a mess. And, and he, he stuck around, he came back up, uh, and he figured things out. And he put together a nice run at the end of 2018 and pitched pretty well last year. But he's been very streaky. Uh, I think he's a guy right now that, that just kind of lacks confidence. I, I don't think that he's, um, you know, I don't think he's had a great feel for his pitches, particularly the splitter. It's been non-competitive a lot of times. He's not getting a lot of guys to go down and chase that pitch. But he is a guy that has shown a history of getting really hot and, and going through cold spells. And I think that right now the Phillies have to hang in there. He has enough talent, especially relative to the rest of the bullpen options. And I think it would be, you know, kind of silly to dismiss him at this point. I, you know, so I think that Girardi's going to try to go back to him one or two more times and see. But obviously, again, you have a very short season. You only have so many opportunities to take advantage of potential wins, and you can't play around that much. So it's it's a situation with Hector Neris that's certainly worth evaluating. I don't think he's completely out of the closer role yet, but I do think more times than not, uh, Girardi's going to lean with Workman right now, despite the fact that he has not been overly impressive. What are your thoughts on Tommy Hunter's comments, his velocity, and his performance since those comments? It's it's kind of weird, right? Like we want athletes to um, you know be candid and, and say how they feel, and not just give these you know prepackaged answers. And, and so Tommy Hunter comes out the other night and he says like, you know, Hey, yes, it, it does piss me off that, that we've been criticized the way that we have been. And, you know, we are working hard. We are trying. And like, you do understand that these guys are human beings that they want to perform. It's not like they're going out there trying to pitch so poorly, but while I understand him defending and I think kind of taking a, a protective role with some of his teammates, you, you can't pitch like that and, and be so bad for such an extended period of time. And, and also not expect that type of criticism. So I guess what I would have liked to have heard Tommy Hunter say is, yes, it does upset me, and yes, it does anger me, but also we totally understand it. And the fact that he didn't really kind of give the other side of it or at least concede that the criticism was warranted, I thought was, you know, I, 
I don't want to say it was weak, but I, I think there, there needs to be an admission on his part that, yes, this has not been close to being good enough. That being said, the way that he's gone out and thrown the ball the last few times, pretty good. I mean, if you're going to talk the talk, you've got to back it up. And since he's, he's said that and since he made his comments, he seems to have a little bit of a chip on his shoulder, and it does seem to have a little bit of a, a motivating factor for him. So if that's what it takes, then okay. Yeah, uh, and, you know, look, you mentioned Workman. Naris will see what ends up happening. Uh, they've got uh, Tommy Hunter pitching well right now. Morgan, uh, if they can get Ranger Suarez and Alvarez back all of a sudden, I mean, it, it's uh, they've got some interesting options. Again, it's not a great bullpen, but they gives them some interesting options. And then all of a sudden, it completes the team a little bit more. Having a just good bullpen, not a great bullpen, it certainly changes my perception of them moving forward. So I guess the question is, does Matt Klintek look to add another arm to that bullpen by Monday, or does he think now that maybe I don't have the clear-cut closer, I don't have that great guy, but I got six or seven good guys? I think if everything was progressing well on the injury front, they may not be as inclined to do it. But we found out today that David Robertson, and we didn't really get a whole lot of detail on this, but he had a, a setback, and Joe Girardi said basically it'll be difficult for him to to come back and pitch this season. So that's a, a big blow. Not that the Phillies, I think, were hitching all of their hopes to Robertson at this point, but uh, you know there was some some hope that he would come back. That doesn't look like it's going to happen. And Jose uh, Alvarez, I mean, you know, he's a, a, a guy that I mean, you saw. The, the injury that he sustained and he may not pitch you know for another 10 days before he starts throwing and it might take him a week or two to ramp back up so best case scenario you probably see him the second week of September and there's just not a lot of time so there should be a little bit of urgency to add to the bullpen uh, but you know it's going to just come down to price and what the Phillies are willing to part with and and how creative they want to get with the financial packages because in any other year if they had a lot of money to play with, and, and the luxury tax was not a consideration, I would say that they would absolutely be adding somebody. But it's going to take some creativity if they want to continue to add, yet stay under the luxury tax threshold, which they've said and they've gone on record that if it's worth it, they'll go over. But I don't see a, a middle reliever or a seventh, eighth inning guy being the player that they go over the luxury tax for. I just don't. So it, it's going to, I think, take some creativity on the part of Matt Klintak to add to the bullpen at this point. We rip Matt Klintak apart all the time for what he came into the season with, but when you look at this lineup, does he deserve some credit? I mean, Alec Bohm is hitting over 300. He's your eighth hitter tonight, and, and you just look at what he built from a lineup standpoint for this season, although you can argue the JT thing is definitely wonky, and when you look at the bench, there's actually people to bring off the bench. Last year, Andrew Knapp, who's having a hell of a season, by the way, was your guy coming off the bench last season, and he could barely do anything. Now you got Goslin, Jay Bruce, who's been a spark. I, I just, I don't know. I, I rip him all the time, but you look at this lineup and what it can be, it, it definitely is very solid. Yeah, uh, you know, I think that there are mistakes that he has made, and, and some of those mistakes are very difficult to overcome, handing Jake Arrieta $75 million over three years, and obviously they ignored the back end of the starting rotation last season. It killed them. They ignored the bullpen this year, but there are some things that he has done uh, that, that have been good ads. And, you know, you mentioned Phil Gosselin. That's a big part of it. I mean, he's been outstanding, whether he's been in the starting lineup against lefties or he's coming off the bench. Jay Bruce they got for, for essentially nothing. Uh, he's been a big contributor to this offense when he's been in the lineup and he hasn't been hurt. You know, so you do have to give him a little bit of credit for that. It's a deeper bench. You could even argue that, that the, the obvious thing would have been to 
part ways with Andrew Knapp. You know, that like, how could you possibly bring this guy back after the 2019 season that he had? And he's come back this year, and he's played really well, and he's a great fit in the clubhouse. And, and you know, that wasn't an obvious move to make, even if it was an easy one. So, you know, I do think that you have to kind of credit him for some things, but the, the issue I keep kind of coming back to is that we feel better about this right now because they're riding a nice little three-game winning streak. You know, but if you go back to last Saturday night, they're 9-14. and 14. They have the second-worst record in the National League, and it just looks like a total disaster. You know, and, and I think that that's the funny thing about baseball, how quickly things can turn. But I'm not ready to, to you know, congratulate Matt Klentak on, the, on this team that he's built. I, I still think uh, that he deserves a ton of criticism for the way that this team has performed you know, in 2018, 19, and into this season. But, yes, there are some positives, and, and you do have to at least kind of tip the cap a little bit about the offense that has been assembled here. No doubt. And, and obviously, I'm not claiming that he's some phenomenal GM by any means. But, you know, like if the bullpen was fixed, then you can argue that this team, you know, could probably do something fun, if you will. I don't know what that really means in terms of a championship. But, um, yeah, I'm not claiming that he's great by any means. But I just... I look at the lineup and I think, okay, Didi Gregorius, great ad, the one-year deal. Do you sense that it's possible he returns? Yeah, I, I think it's entirely possible. He's had a great season, a uh, great guy, fits well in the clubhouse. By all counts, everything's going well that way. Uh, so, you know, when you when you step back and look at it, there's really there's probably more of a need for Didi Gregorius now because you don't know what the long-term uh, future for Gene Segura is. I, I don't expect him to be a guy that's in Philadelphia for four or five years. And certainly because of what Scott Kingery has given you or hasn't given you this year, uh, you know, if Scott Kingery came out and was hitting 340 right now and, and looked like the player that we thought he was going to be, you'd say, all right, like maybe we're not going to, you know, run it back with a, a higher priced middle infielder, but, I just don't know how you can move forward with Scott Kingery as a key piece of your lineup beyond this season based on what we've now seen from him, and not just this season, but the way that he performed and struggled at times, or certainly during his rookie year, and then even at times last year. I know that the numbers were a lot better, but he went through periods a year ago where he really struggled after being really hot. And So I just don't think you can move forward with Scott Kingery with any confidence, and if, if the price is right, yeah, I think that you have to look at Didi Gregorius and, and certainly the, the catcher as well. Yeah, Bob, uh, I was going to ask you, I was going to follow up with Kingery. I mean, they signed him to that deal. They bought out all his arbitrations. I mean, I thought they'd made a smart move by doing that, by saying, you know what, you were good enough. Let's put you on the major league roster. We'll buy out those years. They got him at a great deal. What, what's, uh, what is his He's 26 years old now. Does he have trade value? Yeah. <laughs> You know, maybe as a buy low, change of scenery type of guy, but no. I mean, I mean, he just—he's basically at rock bottom in terms of his overall value right now, and so I don't think that he is that change of scenery candidate, especially because it's not like he's—he's he's unhappy here. You know, it's not like that there's bad blood between the player and the organization, and and the Phillies just traded a guy where I think that that bad blood was was starting to kind of come to the surface last year with with Nick Pavetta and the organization. But I don't think it's like that with Scott Kiernan. I think that this is a, a guy that they really like. He really likes being here. It's just not working right now. And he had some injury issues earlier in the year, and, and, and not just COVID, but he had a shoulder thing, a back thing. He talked about how that impacted him early on. But it just still has not come together for him. And I just don't know at this point how many more bats the Phillies can give him on a consistent basis before they say, 
listen, we just can't do this anymore. We can't do it this season. We'll have to try to figure it out in the winter. You know, so as far as trading him, I don't foresee that. I think he'll be on the team next season. But, like, if he does not if he does not experience a significant rebound here over the last 30 games and, and if they make the playoffs into the postseason, then I just don't think you can pencil him in as a starter anymore. I was going to say, do you think at this point he is no longer an everyday player in this particular – are they not viewing him any longer as an everyday player? He'll play just because of the versatility. Um, you know, and I think that they, they like the upside still and they want to get him right. But I don't believe that he is I, – I don't think that he will be a starter – uh, you know, quote unquote, moving forward for them. There's just too many other options. They have too much versatility with I mean, their bench gonna, options. If they're going to play Boehm every day at third, which looks like now, that means he's de- he looks like the odd man out, right? Yeah, sure. And I'm kind of curious to see what they do with Boehm. You know, I mean, is Reese Hoskins starting to swing the bat a little bit now? Uh, you know, and, and he's going to have to do that if he wants to continue to play first base for this team. I know he's a team leader, a great guy. Uh, I thought he handled that press conference yesterday extremely well. But he's starting to swing the bat in addition to still getting on base. That's encouraging. So I, I think if, if your plan is to play Bowman third, I just don't know what you do with Kingery, especially when you have Hazley. Uh, you, you have Roman Quinn, who I know can be frustrating at times, but it has certainly shown, too, why he is, is such an exciting player and why Joe Girardi likes him so much. What stands out to you about Alec Boma? The power numbers, you know, we were saw that maybe he had a little bit more pop in the bat. He only has the one homer, but he continues to drive runs in. And it's almost as if you, you hear about the launch angle. You got to hit the homer. It's either a home run or strike out. I honestly feel like he just goes up there and swings the baseball bat. And look, look what's happening. I mean, he's hitting over 300, and it's beautiful. Yeah, I think the one concern with Alec Boma is does he have elite power and I I don't think he has it right now I do believe he can develop and become a 25 30 home run guy but I don't think he's going to be that type of hitter right now but I'll tell you what really impresses me more about Alec Boehm than anything else is that he does not look like a hitter that's in his first two weeks three weeks of major league baseball I mean he is uh, poised he will use off fields he can hit with two strikes He's not jumping and trying to launch everything and jack everything, which is something that so many young hitters fall victim to. Uh, just a really professional, advanced, mature approach at the plate from him. Uh, and, and from an offensive standpoint, I know that he's been pretty brutal defensively, but from an offensive standpoint, You're being there's, not a whole, there's not more than you can ask for from Alec Boehm right now. Defensively, though, I don't believe that he's a third baseman. Uh, I know the Phillies want him to be there. I just don't believe that that's going to happen long term. I think that that he's probably playing space for this team, or he's a DH, or if they they really want to try to go like the Pat Burrell route, maybe they they try to turn him into a left fielder. But I, I think he's destined to play first base and and, and maybe making it DH. Um, trade deadline Monday. Any shot at a, a shocker that they have to do something with Real Muto because they can't sign him and they want to get something for him? Or is that completely I, off the grid? It is completely off the grid. I guess you can you can never say never, but I would be stunned. I, I don't know how you would sell that to a team that right now is in the playoffs. They woke up today. They're a half game. Uh, you know, they they have that last playoff spot by a half game. I, I just don't think you can trade your arguably second best player, third best player. Um, I don't know what type of message that would send to the right fielder, especially. I just think you would totally lose your clubhouse if you traded him, even if the return was unbelievable. And even if you felt that you probably weren't going to re-sign him this winter, there's just no way they can do it. There's just no way. I would agree with that, I, I you know, especially uh, with where they are 
uh, at the in the in the uh, standings right now. I mean, you can't just tell the fans, "Hey, we're bailing on this." I, it, although it's weird uh, because of this shortened thing, but yeah, uh, it does it hurt more to see that the guy um, that you gave up for him is now up at the majors and performing? Does that you know, like the Sixers, they had a sign Tobias Harris. They gave up so much to get him. Are the Phillies almost in that situation now where? We have to sign him because of what we gave up to get him is now pitching at the big league level. Yeah, I mean, you know, every time Sixto Sanchez takes right? the ball and pitches and, and you, you see him hitting 100, uh, you know, hitting triple digits with regularity, you go, oh, my God. You know, they, they could not have possibly traded this guy for 220 games of, of JT Real Muto. Uh, you know, it's just I think it does apply extra pressure. and. I understand the financial implications of this. I, I also understand why people aren't uh, overly confident in the Phillies front office. I, I totally understand it, but I will tell you, I, I know that logic is not always what that isn't, logic is not always what prevails in these situations. It's just not. But logic tells you that there is just absolutely positively no way if the Phillies want to be a competitor beyond 2020 for the next handful of years. You just went out and signed Zach, Mil- uh, Zach Wheeler to, to a $110 million-plus contract. You're paying your right fielder over $300 million. You talk about how you want your damn trophy back. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It was actually a little bit more vulgar than that. You just can't <laughs> let this guy walk. You can't, you, it can't happen, and, and I don't think it will. Well, you talk about the front office and maybe not having you know full belief. People don't believe in what they are exactly doing. Is it possible, and, and I hope the answer is no, but is it possible that Andrew Knapp's hot start makes them think, hold on a second, if we do, if we do let JT walk, here's Andrew Knapp who's given us 400 batting average right now. No, Good. because I think that you, I, I think you, you understand two things, right? And I, and I assume that you, you kind of believe this as well. Number one, yes, he's played really well, but it's also been 2022, I think, 22 plate appearances overall, which is, for an everyday player, basically a, a week's worth of plate appearances. And so it's just such a small sample size of success. And, and number two, the, the second part of it is is that I think this is the fear with like a guy like Phil Gosselin. He said, like, he's got to be in the lineup every day. And I, I've certainly kind of thought that to myself, too, but – you don't want to overexpose certain players because it limits their effectiveness when they're on the field. And, and I think if Andrew Knapp was, was catching every day, I don't know that we would feel the way that we, we do feel about him right now and, and feel as positive uh, as we do. So I don't, I don't think that's a factor at all. What I do think, though, is that Andrew Knapp has probably solidified himself as this team's backup catcher beyond this season, um, which, which I don't think was anywhere close to a slam dunk heading into it. All right, Bob Wankel crossing broad, and of course the Phillies' uh, big series with the Braves right now. And hey, it's going to be September next week, so down the stretch they come. And of course, we'll keep our eye on it uh, tonight. Zach Wheeler, who's been very successful so far, gets the ball for the Phillies. And uh, for more, uh, of course, Bob Wankel, like all guests, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Bob, you're a gentleman and a scholar. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you soon. You like all guests appear to be the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. We got plenty more to go. It's a happy hour Friday. I love talking baseball with Bob. He's got such high energy for the game. Oh, yeah. He's a baseball guy. Yeah, you but, know? you know, most of the baseball reporters are a little dry. Now, Bob. Yeah, Bob's got that oomph. You know? He's got that extra level. Yeah, he I does. Mean, Bob almost feels like he should be covering uh, the NBA or something. Got that energy. Well, you need that energy. See though. this NBA news? No, what happened? Keith Pompey. Oh, I did see that. 
There's two names interested in the Sixers head coaching position. One of them is a former Sixers head coach. Remember when this guy was, you probably don't remember when he was the head coach of the Sixers. That's how long ago it was. Did you know that one of the names was the head coach of the Sixers? You know who I'm talking about? Maybe I didn't see the same report you're talking about. So now I'm well, scrolling. One of the name, okay, one of the names is Jason Kidd. Yes. All right. Jason Kidd apparently is interested. Multiple sources are saying Jason Kidd is interested in the in the Sixers job. There was a second report of another guy interested I, I see in the Sixers job. He was already the Sixers coach. Two seasons he spent with the Sixers. We're going back to 1994-1995 seasons. John Lucas wow. is interested in coaching the Sixers. Now, in Philly, in his time, he was worse than the process years. He was 42 and 122. That's a 25 win percentage. I don't know what Brett Brown, I got to, what's worse, Lucas's two years or Brown's three? I mean, he won in Philly. Well, he won 24 games and 18. And Brown won 18, 19, and 10. 10 wins. 10 wins. I went to a game that year. Can you believe it? Oh, I went to a ton of games that year. I used to go almost all the time. Yeah, they were they were actually a penny on StubHub at one point. Yeah, I I, I went that year. They had what forty one home games. I think I went to twenty of them. Really? You went to that many games, huh? Loved it. Loved it. I was all in, man. In. <laughs> Come on, man. You loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Went to twenty games. I went <sighs> to more games in the process years than I did post process. Well, that's a bad job by you. I, I was all in. I, I said, I'm I'm buying into the process. I, I supported go. the process, but to go to all those games. Not just, that it was expensive I or whatever. I just love I mean, being in the building, man. Member. I don't go. Well, guess what? There'll be a new building soon. Eh, I don't know about that. I don't go to a game. I want my team to win. But I go because I love being in the building. I don't feel that way about the Sixers, though. I feel that way about the ballpark. And I feel that way about uh, a Flyers game. I'm, I'm all. I mean, I, I am too. Don't get me wrong. Park. But the ball, you go to the ballpark. It's not the same as going to the center. You know what I mean? It's the ballpark. Yeah, I just you get like, the ice cream and the hat and the yeah, helmet. I just you get the, you like know what I mean? being in the build. Like, if there's an event at Boardwalk Hall, I go. I'll go watch dirt biking, ice racing, anything. I just love being in the hall. Hall's great. Well, maybe we need something for me to get down there because I haven't even been. Yeah, well, I hope stuff is coming back. I hope, I hope, I hope. PT, I hope he joins us. He will next. 97.3 ESPN.com and the free mobile app have all the Philly sports teams covered with the best insight and analysis from our... Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, 533, happy hour Friday. It's uh, BetMGM. They have a multi-sport parlay boost at the perfect time. Place a 4-17 to 17 parlay and get a price boost between 15 and 40%. Go to BetMGM.com today. Sign up and get a $100 deposit bonus when you use the bonus code 365GAMBLER. Gambling problem 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, happy hour Friday. We're almost done the week. Wow. I mean, next week we got... Couple Flyers games, new schedule. Also, one week closer to NFL. Wow! How about that? Once football is here, it's gonna feel so weird just getting thrown into Week One. Yeah, with no fans. Yeah. Hey, this game matters. Uh, excuse me. What? I had no warm up. 
The players need to warm up. No, I need to warm yeah, up. College football does that where, you know, they come right out and play. I mean, they That's get no true. preseason. But I don't have the same emotional tie, so true. it doesn't hit me the same. Uh, it's Happy Hour Friday. Pete Thompson is here on the Sports Pass Live on 97.3 ESPN. And, of course, you know, PT, there was no Flyers game today, but it was supposed to be tomorrow at noon. It got moved back to 7 and then the back-to-back on Sunday. But, I don't know, I think the Flyers and the Islanders, for that matter, they caught a break with the fact that they got – no back-to-backs now. Uh, the second They don't have that second back-to-back. Right. They don't have the two to go through. And, and obviously, the uh, Carter Hart-Brian Elliott question is completely removed. You go right back to Carter Hart when they do resume tomorrow night instead of tomorrow afternoon. So, uh, yeah, I think that's a break for sure if you want to describe it that way. I mean, uh, look, it's it's been some strange uh, 24 to 48 hours, as yeah. you guys know. It surely has, and yesterday, obviously, the Flyers make the decision to not play the game along with the the league, really. It wasn't the Flyers, per per se, uh, who made that decision to not play the game, but uh, it was going to be a back-to-back last night. That kind of, you know, know, gets wiped out now, and you wonder um, how that kind of affects the focus of all these teams because, quite frankly, it sounded like Elaine Vigneault and Barry Trotz were both on the side that they wanted to play. I mean, I know Elaine Vigneault, he keeps going back to the fact that, you know, he doesn't read the newspaper. He's, he's, he's locked in on hockey. He's a hockey nerd right now. And some people are criticizing him of being, you know, deaf or ignorant to, to everything that's going on. But the guy's trying to win the Stanley Cup. I mean, come on. I, I understand that maybe he might not always give the most politically correct answer, but they didn't play. And I thought, you know, I saw this last night. I don't know if you watched it on the mothership or not, but uh, when ESPN – uh, did their story about the NHL deciding not to play. Uh, you know, they did play the other night while stuff was going on, and some people criticized them for that. And then they didn't play last night, and some people criticized them for that. I mean, you really – there's no uh, – you're not going to win in the court of public opinion, but I thought that uh, the NHL uh, certainly – you know, the story I watched on ESPN that Emily Kaplan, they brought her in, talked about the fact that when the playoffs started, or maybe it was the round-robin format – they had, like, uh, Edmonton and Chicago together out in Edmonton, and they had, you know, an African-American goaltender there, and they had a representative sing the uh, national anthem, and he was kneeling and everybody else was standing. And, and just contrast that to last night when you had 30 players standing behind, you know, and, he, and Evander Kane are standing behind guys uh, trying to ask for social justice. Uh, I thought that that... You know, even James Van Riemsdyk was smart. He called Chris Stewart and said, look, you know, uh, help me understand what's going on with this hockey diversity alliance. The fact that there is a hockey diversity alliance says how far that uh, they're trying to come. Yeah, I'm not a big fan of how the NHL got a lot of backlash. I'm going to stand up for the sport a bit. And uh, it's just like yesterday, baseball played games. Not everyone, but baseball played games. Yet, I don't really hear the crying about, I can't believe baseball played, yet the NHL gets crucified for playing games the same day when it's just a different scenario. And this isn't an excuse, but I do think that it's important to at least bring this up in the conversation. Us sitting here right now, we know nothing that's happening in Sweden. We know nothing that's happening in Finland. We don't know anything that's happened in Russia when it comes to, you know, their standard local news. And there's so many Swedes, so many Finnish guys, so many Canadians in the league that honestly just might not really be up to date with America. And some could be on their fault, fault sure, because they do have 
people of color on their team, so they should learn more about it. I'm not giving them a free pass, but it is a part of this equation that the hockey community is filled with so many people who are from so many areas that just might not truly understand what exactly is happening in America. A hundred percent. I mean, ho- hockey is the great melting pot of diversity of countries that you come from and, uh, and, and where your beliefs are and what your system is. Uh, again, I think the NHL might sometimes be slow to react to things, but they, they didn't turn a deaf ear on it. They didn't just go out and play the games anyway. I mean, they, they recognized what was going on. Look, Tiger Woods played golf yesterday, and there were a lot of people that were upset about that. Why was Tiger playing his first round? And he gave a clipped answer, a pretty short answer when asked, why? And he said, well, Tim Fitchum wanted us, you know, to be out here. And, and, you know, we had the support of all the guys we're going to play. So we went ahead and played. And, you know, there are going to be some people out there that are like Tiger Woods. How could you, you know, and yeah, maybe uh, not that it's karma, but Tiger Woods is playing awful. He's not going to be around past the weekend. And, uh, and <laughs> you know, and he certainly is not winning in the court of public opinion either. Uh, look, there are big names out there. Everybody's response is different. Um, you know, I, I thought what the NBA did was outstanding, and I and I'm glad to see that the NBA is going to come back because I, uh, you know, again, I'm not an African American male, but I'll tell you this: you have a much bigger platform when you actually play the games and have microphones in front of you and during the games and after the games than you do just by not playing them at all. Well, uh, we know that the Flyers in the Islander series. I use the word trepidatious. Hunter didn't know what that meant, but that's how I felt when he asked me about this series right now. Um, I'm a little trepidatious moving forward. How would you describe your feeling about this series right now, 1-1, the way the two games have gone? Well, I mean, trepidatious is like cautious. Trepidatious is like, you know, you're not completely on board. Yeah, I'm okay with that description because – Look, the, they came out like gangbusters to start game two, and then they almost blew it. You know, quite frankly, they did blow it if you, if you know that it got tied up and you say that's them blowing it. But, you know, they got redeemed. Uh, Sean Couturier missed a wide open net in front, and the puck squirts back to Phil Myers, and somehow it goes off a guy's stick. You're like skipping a stone on a pond and ends up in the back of the net. Thank God they won that game. If they lost that game, falling to an 0-2 hole, I think, would have been irreversible now i think that and with the extra day off and now that means carter hart or days off two days off carter hart will be fresh and ready to go uh, uh, i i feel like it's anybody's series right now i almost feel it's a good thing that that happened because if you win that game say three nothing four nothing you might feel i don't know maybe you smell yourself a little bit if you will going into game three and now it's almost as if they have to be mentally prepared differently because they knew that they let that lead slip so they they uh, they approach it differently. They come to the arena differently because they know, hey, look, look what happened last time. We need to be mentally prepared for this game. So I almost look at blowing the 3 nothing lead as a positive. Well, and I thought that, you know, they came out like gangbusters in the first period and everything after the first period was downhill. I mean, as they got scored upon and then scored upon again and it was 3-2, you just got that feeling that it was going in the wrong direction. And good Lord, if I never see Matthew Barzell again, I'll be happy with it. I mean, the guy just kills the Flyers, seems to skate circles around him. You know, Anders Lee, who, uh, who who's uh, their player representative, but also a heck of a good player. You know, you see guys out there that, that can deliver for the Islanders. And yeah, to me, that's a wake-up call, uh, Hunter, that they realized that you, you can't just play 20 minutes and call it a night. You have to play a full 60 minutes, bring the effort. I thought a lot of guys were better in game two, but uh, the Islanders are damn good. 
Yeah, no doubt. What would you think about Claude? Because I know there's a lot of Claude haters out there. I thought he played phenomenal, even though the stat sheet only says one assist. There's no overtime goal without him. There's no first goal with Kevin Hayes without him winning the D-zone draw. He did a lot of little things, and he really stepped up in game in game two. I mean, I couldn't agree more, and you hit the nail on the head, too, is that, you know, people don't they, – they tend to not pay attention to who won the draw, but if you played the game, you know that that's the, that's the start of every single play. It's like hiking the ball to the quarterback. If you screw up the exchange from the center to the quarterback, you've got no play, right? Well, if you don't win the draw, more times than not, you've got no play. And Jeru uh, made plays that don't jump out on the stat sheet, but to the avid hockey watcher, the person that knows what you're looking for, uh, he was huge on the ice the other night. Yeah, and I know that uh, we talked about this the other day, PT, that they had not played well that first line. The the big guys, I mean, they've been getting, they won the first series, scoring 11 goals in the, you know, Montreal series, but they were going to get have to get some, uh, they were going to have to get some sort of uh, impact from that first, you know, group of guys, the Voracek's, the Couturier's, the Giroux's, and they finally got it, and that's a good sign. And I like the fact, we talked about this the other day, that they... Had to, I hate, you know, you don't like to see that they lost the lead, but I actually like the fact that they had the lead, got pushed a little bit, and still held on to win as opposed to winning 4 nothing. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't like to see the blown lead, and we were having Ajita in this house, and I'm not going to lie, some things got kicked and thrown around the oh, living room when that when that game got tied up. Hopefully not by me. Not I just sat there. And, not by me. I just watched it all ricochet around. It's, uh, somebody whose name will not be mentioned was – kicking things and pissed off that they got tied up. But uh, look, uh, to, to me, the, the, the definition of a team is not uh, how hard you hit. It's how hard you can take a punch and, and respond. And, you know, they, they did ultimately win the second half of a back-to-back. You know, I mean, that's the – or the second – after losing the first game, they didn't lose two in a row. Okay, that streak continues. That's what I'm trying to say, you know. And so when you look at it, you know, Claude Giroux, Sean Couturier, Jake Voracek – I mean, those guys, you know, they, they had 13.55 of ice time, and, and they're, they, they were, you know, at a high level, all three of them. If you, if you take, uh, they call it the, you know, a, an index, a rating of like 64% or higher of how high they played. You know, I mean, that's, that's not disappearing. You know, Hayes, what he did to come out and do like that, that's not disappearing. And I thought Carter Hart played good. So, to me, it's, it's not how you – get punched it's not how hard you punch sometimes it's can you take a punch and respond and you know because you're going to get that in playoff hockey you know they they obviously got punched in game one they they got another punch late in game two and then were able to respond in overtime so that to me speaks a lot what were your thoughts on the challenge by av because i didn't see what he saw but uh you know well at the time i was going bananas and then as i because uh, you know that's a such a risky challenge it was like dave Hackstall all over again and we remember we vilified hack when he did it because uh you know you get a power play if you lose and they ultimately did lose and then as the picture started to come out i thought that the guy was offside and then i realized that the way the tag up rule works a still picture does not does not accurately depict what ultimately took place, which is that, yes, the puck was over the line, but the guy hadn't touched it yet. He waited until the guy tagged up and then ultimately, and even AV admitted it afterwards. He, uh, I, you know, some people say like, he didn't know the rule. I, I don't, come on now. The guy's an NHL hockey coach. Are you kidding me that he doesn't know the rule? I think your eyes just see something in full speed in real time. And then you get heated behind the bench and, you know, you make the decision. He said he made the wrong decision. I agree with him. He did, but you can't take it back. Yeah, well, um, 
they killed the penalty off, so they got lucky there. But, uh, you know, it, it was a tough one. It was really, you know, the, the guy was in front. The guy was cradling over. He was getting blocked a little bit. It was hard to see whether or not he was engaged with the puck or not. A lot of people are giving Bailey credit because they said that's a smart hockey play to let the puck kind of uh, sit there before he engaged with it. Yeah, I mean, and that's the whole essence of why they changed the rule, you know, Five, seven years ago before the rule changed, that would have been offsides. But, you know, they allow the whole delayed offsides rule is to allow players to quote unquote tag up, haul ass outside of the zone, get a skate over, and then go in. And, and that's essentially what the, he was waiting for. He wasn't going to touch the puck until he saw that his guy had tagged up. And, and that's why it was an onside play. Uh, so, PT, uh, are you uh, cleared for uh, happy hour Friday beers? Tonight? No, just in general. <laughs> Oh, uh, beers. No, nah, I'm still off the sauce, uh, unfortunately. Everybody else can crack one for me. But uh, What's well, Happy Hour uh, Friday, no you know? We usually ask the Happy Hour Friday guests, what's the Happy Hour Friday uh, beverage of choice? But you're, you're on the uh, the IL still. Yeah, you know me, bottle of water. I mean, if I get really adventurous, I have some sugar-free Gatorade. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Wild. Wow. And you, uh, so we had people earlier. Now, Hunter, we were talking about Reese Hoskins' look earlier, and I said once he changed his look, he started to hit the ball a little more. And Hunter went with he likes the look, and he really wants he wants the PT stash. Oh yeah, that stash is never coming back, and neither should Reese's. I mean, he he definitely had that. That was like '80s porn stash that he started. Yeah, but that's a good with. look though. Like sometimes how bad of a look it is makes it a maybe, good look. Maybe it's a good look for like if you're doing boogie nights too. It's not a good look if you want to be hitting it effective. I mean, it's a good look. look oh, like the mustache. Neurotic. Oh, they, like the, the mustache. Was there a guy Gill that shaved his mustache in the middle of the game? Like he went 0 for 3, it was a doubleheader, he went 0 for 3 in the doubleheader, he went in, he shaved off his mustache, and came out and got a hit this right. second game. Uh, I, I think I know, who you're, I remember that story, I don't know, remember who you're talking about though. Right, I do remember that that happened though. All right, Pete Thompson. Mustache is not coming back. Happy Hour it. Friday with the PT here on the Sports Bash. We'll have to make this a regular thing, Peter. I'm okay with the that. Friday it's, it's fun, schedule, you know. Perfect. Friday fun, Friday. you know, getting us to the weekend. The, I put the fu in fun, right? Yeah, there you go. All right, fu, dude. All right, we're out of here. Sports Bash Live, ninety-seven three ESPN. I can dig it. I'm ready for the five. Here we go. You're thirteen and six, and I'm disgusted. What is the Flyer series when we return on Monday? Flyers series when we return on Monday is 2-2. Two, 2-2. Two. Two, two. It's a good pick. I probably would have said the same thing. It's all Flyers related, though, because I don't know if the Phillies games are going to have some cancellations with rain or yeah, whatever. A lot so. of rain in the forecast, which is ripping up my weekend. Yeah. Will Scott Lawton playing game three. So on Saturday, coming off of a win, he was out of the lineup. No. Okay. You know, and my reasoning is they score four goals. So, no need to inject some offense. If they didn't have a good goal tonight, I mean, they might want to say, all right, we need some more offense. Okay. But I'm going to go no on Lawton. They'll stick with what they got there. I think the lineup stays the same. I don't think you see a change. I don't think the, the defensive pairings. Uh, yeah, I think that's pretty set at this point, I, I would imagine. How many points for Claude Giroux in the two games combined? Uh, two. Two points. One, point, one each. Okay. It's a little dime. A little helper. <laughs> 
How many power play goals do the Flyers allow? I like these power plays. How many do they allow over the No, nah, the, the kill is good. Zero. Wow, you're going there shutting them down for both games. Yeah, the the, 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 the kill has been fine. You're right, but you never know. You can squeak a peeper in there. Uh, total that was uh, the kid in goal. <laughs> total saves for Carter Hart. Over under 57 and a half between the two games. You got to think you get an average of around somewhere between 20 to 30. Yeah, I'm going to go under. You're going under. They're not going to get they don't get that many shots. Both these two don't fire the You're shots. Right, but you never know, man. Well, this Porzingis out for the rest of the season. Wow. Serious. Meniscus tear. Ooh. I had that once. Actually, I thought it was that. It was my patella and uh I didn't need surgery unlike Ben Simmons though. Ben Simmons needed that out. surgery. Well, I mean, no, I'm not calling him. That's not his fault, but he needed <laughs> surgery on his patella. Mine was obviously not that bad, but I thought it was a torn meniscus. All right, game night's up next with Josh. Scoop B is on the show.